this morning. Let's sing that song, We Need You, Lord. Is that your prayer? Amen. We need you, Lord. Amen. No matter what's going on in our life, we all have tough things that are happening. We need him. Amen. We need you, Lord. We need you, Lord, right now. Amen. you, Lord. We need you, Lord. 
hands and bow our knees, oh, and worship at your throne. We need you, Lord. Yes, we need you, Lord. Right now, I need you. in a prayer request for uh, her aunt, uh, Glinda. She's got uh, shoulder surgery on the 15th, so we want to just remember that. Um, we got a lot of the Cockmans missing this morning, uh, but, uh, so they all need a touch from the Lord, uh, Brother David and Sister Jesse, Brother John, so we just want to uh, remember all of them. Remember Brother David Whitlock, uh, he's having some sinus issues. Sister Karen Noriega is not here uh, this morning. We also want to remember uh, Brother Keith and Sister Sarah. They're in South Carolina. If you have any unspoken, Brother Jaron, if you could come. An unspoken prayer request, you just lift it before the Lord. Amen. bless you. Let's all join our hearts together in prayer and bow our heads at this time.
Dear Lord Jesus, Father, what a blessed assurance we have, Lord, just to be able to bring these special needs before you, Lord, knowing full well, Lord, that you already have the answers for everyone, God. Lord, I'm asking in the name of Jesus, Lord, as we approach your throne, that you would cleanse our hearts, our minds of anything that's unclean, Lord, that you would just drive away any hindrance of any spirit, Lord God, that would move or try to cloud into someone's mind, God. We rebuke those spirits in the name of Jesus, God. And Lord, as we come before you, Lord, we bring our petitions to you humbly, Father. Lord, I have before me a piece of paper, Lord, with needs upon them, Lord. God, these people are reaching out to you, Lord Jesus. Lord, I'm asking that you would touch those that are afflicted at this time, Lord. Lord, if they be sick, Lord, I pray that you would heal them of those sicknesses or diseases, Lord Jesus. Lord, have mercy upon our dear Aunt Glenda, Lord, that has to go in for surgery, Lord, that you would just touch her shoulder, Lord. Do God the surgeon's hands to bring her through that surgery, dear Lord. God, I'm praying for those that are missing at this time. I think of the Cockman family, God, that you would be merciful to them, whatever the needs may be, God, that you would just be near to them and minister to them, God. Lord, we thank in this time of Sister Tamlington, God. Lord, we pray that you would move upon the scene for our dear sister, Lord. Lord, the prophet said that nothing would stand before him, Lord, if he could only get the people to believe, Lord. Lord, we believe, Father. Lord, we know that she can be healed, Lord. We know that she is healed, for by your stripes we are healed, Lord Jesus. God, we claim that healing. Lord, lift our faith, God. Lord, help us to believe you in fullness and truth, God. Lord, we, we just ask that you would touch the remainder of this service, God. Move upon the scene, I pray, Lord. Speak to each heart, whatever the need may be of every individual in this place, Lord. Let us not leave here, Lord, without hearing a word from you, God, directly, personally, Lord Jesus. Speak to my heart, Father. Bless these musicians, the song leader. Lord, help us to worship you in spirit and truth, and may it be acceptable in your sight. For we ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can turn and shake hands with those that are around you, and then you may have your seats. Welcome to the service. I'm not going to have him stand because I would completely embarrass him, but it's nice to have the pews here. The Samuel and uh, Sister Jessica and family, God bless you. We're going to sing that song. Nice to see the Walters here too. Both sets. Good. God bless you, Brother Jonathan. Good to see you guys. Um, we're going to sing that song, I Bless Your Name. I Bless Your Name. Amen. In Prisoner's Chains. In Prisoner's Chains.
Yes, you are the truth, the way. If you can come up, let's sing it again. I bless your name. I bless your name. I give you honor, give you praise. You are the Mitchell's getting ready to sing here. Just got a quick announcement. This is your last chance. That was the information that was given to me. If you haven't signed up for the Christmas dinner on the 18th, which is next Saturday uh, at 6 p.m., sign up in the library. Yeah, the sign-up sheet is in there. If you do not sign up today, we will not count you which doesn't mean you can't come. We just may not have enough food, which is always embarrassing. So please make sure and sign up. Amen. Brother Mitch. down from heaven and humbly you came God of all creation here with us Oh in a starlit manger Emmanuel Light
answers till I reach the other side. I will keep my eyes on Jesus till my faith becomes sight. Lord, hold my hand in the middle of my storm when I'm sinking down. Lord, help me to stand when the waves are crashing round. May I keep my eyes on you, cause Lord, you're the only one who can help me get through the middle of my this morning. really enjoyed both of those. Brother Jeff, if you could say a blessing on the offering. Amen. Trials of this world trials of this world was getting closer the pull I felt was more than I could bear and I was on the verge of giving just wasn't there Oh, something keeps holding me Will 
morning. It's good to be in God's house. Good to have all of you here today. Let's go right to prayer. And uh, I'd like to ask you to remember Brother and Sister Smith, uh, John Cockman and Lorian, not feeling well today. And uh, we'd also like to keep on our prayer request, Laura Collins. I mentioned her on Wednesday night. She is a very dear friend of and a relative of uh, Rebecca, our Rebecca, Andrew's wife, uh, lives in Edmonton, It's about 35 years old, has four children, all girls under the age of, I think, 11 years old. She has cancer, which is in an advanced stage. Um, they are attempting to do some uh, chemo on her. She couldn't make it through the first chemo treatment that they gave her. Uh, it's a very complex situation, and uh, they're really asking for prayer because she needs a miracle. And there's nothing um, 
probably no other better way to put it than she needs the miracle worker to come on the scene and just undertake for her. Our God's able. Our God is certainly mindful of those kinds of needs. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we come in your presence this morning, Lord, we are thrilled to be gathered together, Lord, with your people in this place. Realizing, Lord, that you have always, you always have good things in store for us whenever we come together, Lord. You've given us such a wonderful word in this last day, a great message, Lord, that we can broadcast and we can preach and we can speak about. Lord, there would not be enough services for us to really cover the things that you would love to reveal to us. And as we see it unfolding, Lord, it just inspires us to keep going further because it's, I believe, our pathway home. Lord, I pray that you would increase our faith and, Lord, minister to these folks that are needy today. Lord, we think of Brother and Sister Smith and uh, the Cockmans. Lord, we think of Sister Laura. Father, she's a believer and she's trusting in you. And now the very best thing, Lord, is that we who are strong, we can lift her before the throne of grace and mercy and ask, O God, that you would be merciful to her and mindful of her condition. But we curse that cancer in the name of Jesus Christ. And, Lord, we believe that nothing, nothing at all is too great for you. So we commit her and her husband, her children, into your hands, Lord, and just pray that you would just draw near to her Bring to her that healing touch that she desperately needs. Lord, we ask now that you would just bless this service and the entire day we commit to you. In the name of Jesus, our Lord, we pray. Amen. And all the brides said, while you're standing, let's take your Bible, if you will. Let's go to Matthew, the second chapter. And uh, we'd like to take a reading there. Let me echo Ben's comment and say that we appreciate our musicians and uh, specials that were sung this morning, wonderful uh, gifts in operation, and we appreciate that very much. <clears throat> I have spoken on this subject several times over the years, and I want to take it this morning because uh, I've learned some things about this that I want to share with you today. In Matthew chapter 2, this is a story of the birth of, of Jesus, and what we refer to as the first coming of Christ. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. May God add his blessing. You may be seated today. We welcome all of you here today, the pews, uh, each one. uh, Good to see the Walters here. God bless you. Always an honor to be in God's house with God's people. We have a lot happening today. We have a baptism this morning after the morning service and appreciate the drums helping out getting the uh, baptism all prepared, baptismal, all prepared, and we're ready to go. God moves on your heart. You've never surrendered your life to Christ. There's never been a better day than today uh, to walk in the waters of baptism and surrender your life to Christ. Never been a better day. And uh, we appreciate uh, that opportunity to be able to do that. just gives me confidence and consolation that God's still moving in the hearts of his people. And I think that's a wonderful thing. Now, uh, just very briefly, I wanted to throw in a couple of uh, announcements here. And that is today is the Paschal's uh, wedding anniversary. And we wish them all the best today. December 14th is Sister 
Hannah's uh, birthday and then Sister Kim Ward on December 16th. And may God bless uh, each one of them. Two things for you to watch for. Uh, I've been in contact with believers since I've been over in the Ukraine this uh, fall. And uh, there is a, an escalation of tensions and a mounting of uh, armaments and troops on that, uh, on that border. I, when I was there, I photographed lots of uh, army truck movement there and uh, saw lots and lots of soldiers there. It's, it's increased and accumulated over the last little while. That's going to be an interesting scenario to watch because the, uh, the allied nations are vowing to resist any further movement of Russia into Ukraine. And so that's uh, certainly an interesting thing to be watching. The other thing that's interesting to watch uh, is that this week there's going to be statements given by the global central banks, several of them in the world, about uh, the current condition in our economy. And without going into any detail, the, the recovery of our economy is uneven. And that means that at the same time, and some of you folks know much more about this than I do, but at the same time you have a situation where there's inflation in the world and depression. And it's happening at the same time. That kind of throws everything out of kilter because it should be one way or the other. And as a result, the global central banks tend to make statements about or policy changes that regulate how money is actually produced and then how uh, currencies operate. Uh, the whole idea of the cryptocurrencies and all of those things there, there's a lot of scrambling that's going on to try to find some stability in global markets. I said all of that to say this, that all of that is a platform for one world system. And what you're seeing is the precursor of that. So I look at that uh, interestingly, and I, I look at that, you know, to uh, and, and realize that uh, there's a lot of decisions being made because people don't know where this is going. They don't have an idea how it's going to come out. They don't know the future of how things are going to be. I'm glad we've had a prophet in this last day, aren't you? I'm glad we have an insight into the scripture. And so these things are just interesting things to watch, especially uh, in our world, which is so, uh, so up and down and uh, certainly so volatile. Um, <clears throat> I think it was C.S. Lewis who said, made the statement one time that uh, anything that is not eternal is eternally out of date. Anything that's not eternal is eternally out of date. And there's a lot of people that can make predictions about things or summary statements about things. They can make assessments of things. But if it doesn't come from God, it's going to be out of date practically as soon as it's stated. The things that are eternal will last. They'll be consistent. They'll be, they'll be fulfilled. And they will last over time. But things that are not eternal become eternally out of date. And so there are a lot of things that governments will say, people will say, institutions will say, and they wind up changing because they're not from God. They can know a certain amount about the future and how things are going to be, but eternal things, they never go out of date. I'm glad for that. They all come to pass. All right, let's take a look at a principle this morning. And I want to give you two or three principles, and there's a couple of passages in Scripture that I want you to look at. This is not going to be in-depth by any stretch, but uh, I want to uh, uh, continue in this idea 
we have been dealing with about, uh, you know, the expectations that people have in our time. Does a lot of people realize something is going to happen or something going to change, something going to break wide open? A lot of people understand that. They know, even in Brother Branham's day, he referred to the fact that people are, uh, they have an expectation that something's going to happen, even if they don't know really what it is. There's a feeling that something's got to give. And that makes sense. I, th- I think that would be uh, an honest assessment. We look at that whole, we look at the world differently. We look at it as something that is unfolding according to uh, a definite pattern or a definite program that God has already laid out. Right? We, we believe that things are going to happen God's way because God has already stated it and it's not going to surprise God as to what happens tomorrow. And it therefore should not surprise us, because even if we don't know all the details today, we know that God holds today and tomorrow as well. So it's going to happen according to his plan. It may not happen the way we think, but it's going to happen according to his plan, that's for sure. And the things concerning you are going to happen according to God's plan. Do you believe that? The things that, that concern you and your family, they're going to happen according to God's plan, and nothing's going to change that, nothing's going to alter that. And so we are confident that God holds a future, he holds us, he holds the nations, that it's all under his control. But everybody does not have the same level of understanding of, of events that go on in the world. And as a result, there are a lot of different opinions, there's all kinds of uh, news out there, there's all kinds of perspectives that people have. doesn't mean that they're right, just means that there's a lot of them. And because we live in such an interconnected age now, everybody's opinions are out there for... Uh, for discussion. Everybody's, uh, you know, if you're a good blogger, you can sound like an expert. You may not be an expert, but you can sure sound like one. You can sound like a lot of things, right, today, because we have access now. Everybody has access, and everybody has a platform to, uh, to do things, you know. You can be anything you want on the Internet. It's amazing how, how crazy it is that some people present themselves as so stupid, you know, I mean, it's so uh, ridiculous. The, the things that people post, I mean, just absolutely amazing. I, sorry, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but it sure is true. <laughs> but it, just because there are platforms out there, and just because people might be good writers, doesn't mean that they're right. It only means that they have a platform, and platforms are free, they're automatic, they're, they're uh, you know, they're, uh, they're, uh, they're able to be updated continually, and uh, there's all kinds of ideas out there. That only, that only adds to the confusion of the hour. It only adds to the confusion. But the bride is not confused because we have a, we have a, a resource that's not like anything that exists in our, in our human world, and that is that we have this, this whole process of revelation. God gives us revelation on things. And revelation separates God's people uh, from the rest of this world. And so we have, uh, we have a, you know, a, an understanding. We have a sense of things that uh, the world may not really fully understand. So uh, let's, let's look at a couple of scripture verses here. The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 29 that the secret things belong unto the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of the law. As I've said to you before, God hides things. He does not hide things from us. He hides things for us. He hides things for us to know. But he does hide things because the world can be living right in the middle of something that's important and actually being fulfilled. And they may miss the significance of it altogether. In Daniel chapter 2, 
uh, Daniel writes, and he changeth the times and the seasons, and he removeth kings and setteth up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things, and he knoweth what is in the darkness, and the light dwelleth with him. I think that's a great thing, that God uh, reveals the deep and secret things. And he knows what's going on. Whether we can see it or not, God knows what's going on. In Luke chapter 10, also we find Jesus said in that hour, Jesus re- uh, rejoiced in the spirit and said, I thank thee, O Father, that thou hast, uh, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and has revealed them unto babes such as would learn. For it seemed, even so, Father, for it seemed good in thy sight, and all things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth who the Son is but the Father, and who the Father is but the Son, and he to whom the Son will reveal him. Jesus thanked God that it was that way. And I thank God that it is that way. That God reveals himself to his, uh, to his elect, and he reveals himself to, to those that would learn and those that would uh, have the capacity to be able to understand. Remember, uh, you, you're not intellectually superior to somebody else, but God's placed something in you that receives things from God. And that's how we know what we know. And we do not believe because we understand. We understand because we believe. There's a lot of things in this world that the, the world really doesn't, they, they really don't understand. They really don't uh, comprehend. But for us, we don't believe because we understand. Because we got it all figured out, and we, we believe that's not the way it is. But rather, we understand because we do believe. Because we believe God first, then we have an understanding of many things. And it's not the other way around. So therefore, I'll, I'll say this, and I, I think it's an important way to look at things, that uh, faith does not deny the, the, the presence of a problem. Faith does not deny the existence of a problem. But it does deny the problem uh, having a position of influence in your life. Think about this now for a moment. Faith does not deny the existence of a problem. When people came in the prayer line in front of Brother Branham, Brother Branham didn't say, well, you don't have that and you don't have that. He said, you do have this and you do have that. But real faith, it denies that problem a position of influence. So that problem is not going to influence the faith that is designed to deal with that problem. Now think about it in the Bible. You remember when uh, that, that young boy was uh, possessed with an epileptic spirit. You remember that? And... Uh, when, when the father took that boy to the disciples, you know, they couldn't do anything with that boy. He was foaming at the mouth and writhing and, and throwing himself in the water and in the fire. And when Jesus came on the scene, the father came to him and he said, Hey, the disciples couldn't do anything about this, but Lord, if you're able, could you help my son? And that's about the lowest level of faith you're going to find in the Bible. I'm not sure you could get anything lower than that level of faith. And don't be critical of him. I mean, but he simply says, Lord, if you're able to do anything, if it's possible you can do something about this, could you, could you help my son? Because that's the position that this father was in. And the, the circumstances of this boy and his condition, it, it seemed to paralyze the, the, the faith of the disciples. But I will tell you this, faith does not deny the existence of a problem, but it does, it does deny the, 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 the problem a position of influence so that when Jesus came and looked at it, he wasn't looking at the circumstance. He knew that there was a remedy for this problem. 
whatever the circumstances were, it seemed to paralyze the faith of the disciples. But it didn't paralyze the faith of Jesus, right? And he said sometimes these things come with prayer and fasting. In other words, there's another level that we need to go to in order to deal with a problem like this because it looks so terrible. And it looks like such an impossible situation. And a lot of times the present, the way that Satan will present issues in, in this world, it'll seem like they're too hard to deal with. It'll seem like they're too difficult, right? It'll see, you, ever, you ever looked at a problem and wondered, my goodness, how are we going to deal with that? How are we going to handle that? Anybody ever heard of a problem like that? And, and, and that's Satan's way of trying to paralyze your faith so that you don't even start. You don't even try to work towards a remedy at all. But let me say it again. Faith does not deny the existence of a problem, but it denies the, the problem a position of influence. So that we as believers, when we face a problem, whether it's a pandemic or whether it's a, a, a demon possession, whether it's a problem in the church or whether, no matter what it is, hey, listen, God's given us a word to build a faith to deal with everything that would come in our way to represent an obstacle for the people of God because God does not want you to stop here like Saul stopped in front of Goliath. God wants us to move on. Are we okay with that? Do you understand what I'm saying? That there are problems that exist in this world that as you look at them naturally, you think, my goodness, there's no solution to that. Hey, I say this, in God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. So I'm not going to let my I'm not going to let my natural sight allow this problem to take influence over my faith. I want my faith to take an influence over this problem. And I think that's the way we should look at it. Because that's what God's given us the faith for. Now, let's all I'm doing is preambling here. Beginning and ending of the Gentile dispensation. Brother Branham says, now, do you see that somebody can stand next to you and see things that you can't see to save your life? Someone said, I don't believe that. I never seen anything because it wasn't for you to see it. None of them saw, none of the people from Babylon to, to Jerusalem saw the star that crossed over every observatory but the wise men. Now look at back what he said. Someone can stand next to you and see things that you can't see to save your life. They're not intellectually known. They're not intellectually figured out. And none of the people between Babylon and Jerusalem saw that star or saw the significance of that star, which crossed every observatory, but the wise men. Many things that God has designated for certain peoples to see and others cannot see. I love that. Many things God has designated for certain people to see, others cannot see. He's talking about you here, right? He's talking about you who see what you're supposed to see in this hour, right? This is us now he's talking about. When God in his infinite wisdom has predestinated or foreordained for certain things to happen, it could happen to the person sitting right next to you and you'd know nothing about it. That's God's way. Right? That's God's way. Because God hides things for his elect. And when God hides something, it's really hard to find. It really is. So therefore, you can have something happening that's significant spiritually, and somebody sitting right next to you can miss it. 
They can walk out of this church or they can walk away from uh, the meetings, uh, you know, Brother Branham's time, or uh, they can encounter Jesus like the rich young ruler did, and, and they can ask the right questions, get the right answers from the right person, and walk away and not really receive anything at all worth, worth hearing or, or worth, uh, you know, worth applying in their life. I mean, that's the way they view it. They've asked the right person the right question, got the right answer, and walk away with nothing. And then somebody right next to, to you can, uh, can pick up something that, uh, hey, the world really uh, doesn't notice at all. They don't see any significance in it at all. And this is what Brother Ram's alluding to here in the beginning and the ending of the Gentile dispensation here is what he's referring to, that at the beginning, God did something significant. Those wise men caught it, but it was a lot of people in the world who didn't. And it was simply because they were meant to see it. All right? Hold on to these thoughts here now. Brother Branham explains it in another way like this. And he said, we preach salvation the same way. That salvation is for all. And it is. Right? But we know that all cannot receive it. All men cannot see those things. Jesus said, blessed are your eyes that you can see your understanding, for there's many that cannot understand it. And divine healing is for people who believe. But you cannot believe until something is within you to make you believe. Now, they had a lot of smart people back in the days of, of the, uh, the early church, or sorry, in the, in the days of Jesus when he was born. There was a lot of smart people that were there. And uh, people back uh, in those days watched the heavens pretty closely. And they, they, uh, they forecast different events that were coming in the world. They, uh, they, they looked at uh, constellations and their movements. I mean, from the days of the pyramids, this was a big deal. Uh, ever since ever since men were on the earth, they looked up into the night sky, and they saw movements and they saw arrangements of things up in the up in the heavens. And I mean, it's a pretty fascinating thing. They're still doing it today. Uh, this morning, early this morning, I was up and they were announcing the fact that there is a new exoplanet that's out there, and it's they say a hundred times larger than Jupiter, and it's a planet that's floating around in some thirty-seven million light years away from the Earth, which is from my understanding, pretty far. And uh, it, it actually said that, you know, we had no idea that there was a planet out there floating around. And it said that it takes like 38, uh, I think, 38,000 years for it to make an orbit around its sun. Its sun happens to be two suns that are pretty close together uh, in, in cosmic uh, terms. And uh, it, they're, they're, they're kind of in the position in this galaxy and and this uh, exoplanet makes this loop around there. And I haven't seen it because, uh, you know, we don't, uh, for 38,000 years, that's, that's kind of a long time. So you've got to be at the right moment, the right time with your telescope. But there's so much observation that goes on. It's just incredible. And then in, in the article, they had a little link that uh, talked about other uh, planets and phenomena that are going on out there uh, that they're observing. And now they have such technical expertise and they have so many watchers out there that they're picking up all kinds of movements of heavenly bodies it's just in other words i'm saying i'd like to say this there's so much stuff going on up there but there's so many watchers that if something happens up there probably going to see it naturally speaking probably going to observe it and if the government telescopes don't get it some guy on sitting on some mountain on top of peru is going to going to, uh, you know, notice that and say, whoa, nobody's talked about that before. Never saw that. 
And, and that's how a lot of that stuff gets discovered. They have amateurs out there who are watching all the time. I, I, thought, about, I thought about my bucket list a little. And I thought, man, I would love to go to one of, the, one of those observatories that has one of those, you know, gargantuan big telescopes. I'm not talking about the home brand. I'm talking about, you know, and where the roof opens up. Right? And you got to go to Machu Picchu somewhere and sit on top of the mountain, make the trek up on donkeys and go up there and, and uh, you know, strap in and get the, you know, the, uh, uh. I'd love to do that. I just think that would be really great. Do it in, by the way, you can do it in Flagstaff, folks, for pastor appreciation. I'll tell you what now. I'm, not, I'm just saying. I'm just, I'm just saying, all right? Maybe I shouldn't have said that, but I'm just saying. There's a lot of observation that goes on. There's a lot of there's a lot of uh, a lot of people who are watching because people inherently know that what happens in the heavens is significant. Here comes Brother Branham in our day, and he says God never does anything on earth unless He does it in the heavens first. Whew. Okay. So therefore, there's a connection, a vital connection between what's going on up there and what happens here. And therefore, what happens there is a symbol or a sign that God is actually doing something significant here. Now, there are levels of significance. So let's take a look at a little bit of this. The first time that we find this significance noted here is when God takes Abraham and says to him, you're going to have children. And you're going to have a lot of children that are going to come. Matter of fact, you're not going to be able to count them. It's going to be like multiplying, he says, multiplying thy seed as the stars of heaven. So he says to Abraham, look up. Abraham sees a scene similar kind of to this. Uh, if, if you look on a, on a good night from the right perspective, get out of town and look south here, you'll see the beginning, the outer blur of the Milky Way. That's where you'll see it is out there. There was a planet on our horizon this morning. It was very early, and uh, we saw that planet was gone very quickly. But planets don't move around up here. They move right on the horizon. And there was one that was shining. I didn't get my chance to, uh, to pull out uh, the gear and see it. But there, there's, there's just some fascinating things at different points here. But anyway, at, when Abraham was told to look up, and he said, look up and see this number of stars out there. And he said, that's the way it's going to be. Now, biblically speaking, stars are what? They are far off, right? Stars are far off. That's one thing that all stars have in common. They're a long way away. When God said to Abraham, look up at the stars, he was saying, eventually, this will be your family. Right now, you don't have this. Right now, it's just you and Sarah, and you don't have any children. But eventually, it may be a far off, but you will have a multitude of offspring that will fill the earth. Stars, though, were registered here in the Scripture as being significant about how God was going to uh, display the seed of Abraham. All right, follow me as we look at this. In Matthew chapter 2, and here's where I want you to take your Bible. I don't have it all written out here, so take your Bible. These wise men came. 
And they came into Jerusalem. It's interesting they didn't come into Bethlehem. There is specific prophecy in Micah that says that out of Bethlehem shall arise this king. But they didn't go to Bethlehem. They went to Jerusalem. Now, when they, when Herod, in verse 3, the king had heard these things, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them, where should the Christ child be born? Now, I've got to stop for a minute and just throw this in here, that uh, wise, the wise men here, uh, they were not referred to as magi. just discovered that this morning. We were in the office talking about this. But the word wise man, it is the Greek word magos. And it means, look at the definitions here of this word. It, it's the name given by the Babylonians and the Medes and Persians and others to describe. Look here, wise men, teachers, priests, physicians, astrologers, seers, interpreters of dreams, augurs, soothsayers, and sorcerers. So if you delved into that realm of astrology or uh, dreams and interpretation of dreams or sorcery or anything along that line, you were referred to as a magos. That was a general term. Somebody who uh, dealt in that realm uh, of things. There is a truth to that because there is a real interpretation of dreams, right? Right? All dreams are not significant, but some dreams are insignificant and they, they can be interpreted by, by God. There is also uh, the truth in teaching. There is truth in uh, all of those uh, positive things that we see there. But it also applies to this category of sorcerers and soothsayers. Now, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, if they found a witch... Or a soothsayer, they generally burned them. But the Magi were not burned. They were not mocked at all. As a matter of fact, when they came in with their report, Herod turns to the wise men, the chief priests, and he says, hey, get all the big guys together. These guys said something. We've got to take note of what they said. So these are not men that are disregarded. These are not men that are the off, like today, we say, you know, when you go down the road and you see a sign there that says palm reading, tarot cards, and, you know, all of that, right? Well, you know, forget that. Most of us, I think. Or, you know, you see, you see I saw one time on a, on a, on a, a TV advert, and it said, uh, you know, get a personalized reading of your future. And they'll, they'll tell your future. And it had these people, I called. I called the 1-800 number. And, man, they told me everything. It was just amazing. I told them only a little bit. And they told me about my past and told me about my future. And, oh, it was really great. 1-800, you know, call, call a witch. And uh, I, it was just, just, I mean, we look at that, you know, forget that. But now when these magi rolled into Jerusalem, they were saying, hey, hey, everybody, where is he, the king of the Jews? And everybody goes, whoa, whoa. These guys are not, this is not 1-800-CALL-A-WITCH. This is, the, these guys are significant. These guys are credible. Because there's a, there's a, another side of this. There's a truth to this as well. Now, the word wise men also, in the next paragraph here, refers to the oriental wise men or astrologers who have discovered by the rising of a remarkable star that the Messiah had just been born and they came to Jerusalem to worship him. 
So let me tell you this. If you found out, you went home today after church and after multiple church events today, and you went home and you've read on the news there, your phone flashed out and said, hey, there's a, you know, a 10 billion ton comet that's heading for the earth. It's going to be here tomorrow. What would you do? You'd immediately look for some, some, you know, a scientist or astrologer, somebody to tell you, is this really true? What are we going to do? You know, it's Biden's fault, but, you know, what are, what are we, who's going to fix it, right? So there, there's, there's a, a credible side to this. And that's why that if, if we just say, well, these men were sorcerers, they would, have been, they would have been dealt with one way according to the Old Testament law. As in the days of the birth of Jesus, they were still under Old Testament law, right? Everybody still following me? You all right? So we find in Acts chapter 13, here's an example of the same the same word magos here. And when they had gone through the island of the Paphos, this is Paul, uh, they found a sor- sorcerer, false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, which was with the deputy of the county, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word. But Elimus, the sorcerer, for his name is by interpretation, which stood them seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. This is a footnote. Any wrong spirit is always going to do one thing, and it is to turn you away from the faith. He's going to lead you away from the light of the hour, okay? And that's, that's the evidence of a wrong spirit moving. Now, so this, this uh, spirit, this guy, this spirit that's, that's overtaken this Elimus here, uh, that's the same word that is ascribed to the wise men we just read in, in Matthew chapter 2. But these wise men now are respected. So, when, when Herod hears about this, he wants to know, well, where are these, where are these, uh, where is this king that he's talking about, that they're talking about? Verse 5, and they said unto him in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophets, thou Bethlehem in the land of Judah, art not thou the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Now, trust me here when I tell you this, you don't, this is not required for the test here, but there are two kinds of ways that Matthew writes to us. I love the, the gospel of Matthew. I study Matthew more than any other gospel. And it's just because I enjoy it so much. But there are two ways that Matthew, uh, you need to listen to this. There are two ways that Matthew speaks to us. And one is what's called an explicit fulfillment uh, quotation here, like this. When, they, when he says, for thus it is written by the prophet. That's explicit. He's saying exactly, look, folks, wake up, everybody, hello, this is what the prophet said, this is what's happening. That's explicit. The other way he speaks to us is what's called an implicit illusion. Again, that's not required for, for raptoring faith, so don't worry if you don't remember the term. But an implicit or an implied statement means that Matthew will drop something in here and then he's assuming you know what the scripture actually is speaking about. It's an, there's an assumption being made here. That's just the way that Matthew writes. Now, uh, hmm. back in the day when this was written back here, the Jewish people didn't have, imagine this, they didn't have Netflix. They didn't have the internet, really. And they, they therefore talked a lot about the scripture. It was in a sense they're very much a part of their daily conversation. They talked a little bit about Rome and about the taxes and all the rest of it. But 
in, in a sense, what they lived by and what, what, was, what they were consumed by was the stories and the prophecies that were found in Scripture. That's just the way it was back then. You, I could give you lots of, of stories related to that. Nowadays, when you, like you, I could get all of our young people together and I could start off saying something out of a Adventures in Odyssey or some r- wildly popular program that's out there. Yeah, immediately they're smiling. Look, they know exactly what this means here. They're way ahead of us. And just to say this, that if I set a line, they could come up with the next line. And, and then someone else would come up with the next line, the next line, the next line. Uh, when Eugene says, I think I'll go upstairs and be upstairs for a while. Some of you know exactly where that's, look at that. If you wish you could see it from this way. <clears throat> it's, it's implied, even though you may not understand what I just said, some of you older folks here, and some of you are looking at me like, Does, is this relevant at all? I mean, we're paying our tithes for this? I mean, trust, hang on here. It's implied when I say something related to a program or something that's popular that someone else is going to pick up and know the next line, know the next thing. They, they know all about it, but it's not, you don't come right out and say it. All right, this is uh, episode 27, volume 4. This is Eugene and the Born Loser. Uh, this, this, is not, this is not what that is. This is like you just say a line. Somebody else picks it up. That's, that's an assumption that somebody, we assume they know the rest of the story. Okay, so Matthew writes like that. Now, in this, in this kind of a story here, it says that, in, in, as we've, we're reading down here in verse 6, Matthew says explicitly, this is what the prophet said, and this is the Bible verse here. Now, again, this is what the wise men and scribes came up with when they came back to hear it. And they said to him, here's the scripture right here. It's exactly, it's explicitly stated right here that this is exactly what's going to happen. So Herod now, he's armed with this scripture. It says in 7, Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem. They're in Jerusalem, but he sent them to Bethlehem. Because you know what he starts to, you know what starts to become important in this conversation now? Is the star. All of a sudden, there's one star. Remember what God said to Abraham? Look at all the stars. And that means there's coming a people, but now there's one star. There's one star that has moved somehow, or one star that's significant. There's one star that's important. And they got it. These wise men have picked it up. They've, they, they got a revelation of this. Now, we just read those statements where Brother Branham said they were looking at it. Everybody else was looking in the night sky, but nobody else saw the significance of it because these guys had a revelation that God's doing something on the earth related to the star. The star, yes. Read on with me here in the, in the, in the passage of Matthew 2. He inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him. And when they had heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. Everything related to this star. Everything was wrapped around this star. In verse 10, And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. You know why? Because the star was central to this whole story. It wasn't Santa. It was a star. 
let me say this with all due respect, because I have people in my family tree who uh, felt the same way about Christmas. And this is not a Christmas message here. This is I'm, what I'm referring to is the first coming of Christ. And Brother Branham said, when we can understand the first coming and how God did things, it'll help us to understand the second coming. And what was really sad about the first coming to me is that a lot of people lived right through it and never, never caught what was going on at all. Because they were, they, were, they were diverted with all kinds of other things. Let me tell you something. The people, there have been people in previous eras who have done nothing but beat Christmas to death. And even though there's some things about Christmas that are absolutely carnal and not worth, not worth getting involved in, in a sense, they missed the important point. So let me just try to deal with this here, if, if I can, this morning. Just want to, uh, just want to try to highlight a couple of things here for you. Um, Brother Branham says in the message, "Divine healing." Now, I got the words "total denial" in brackets here. That's me. Brother Branham says, in, in number one, all the error and everything there is about it. There's something about it that the world tries to make an Xmas. In other words, they're making it a carnal holiday, like they're taking the thanks out of Thanksgiving and call it all kinds of other things. But God's still got a Christmas in it somewhere, hasn't he? There's a truth in there somewhere. Even though Satan's got it all masqueraded with other stuff that most Christians would look at and say, I don't want to have anything to do with that. But he says, notice, this is a prophet now. Everybody believe Brother Bram is a prophet? He says, but there's still, there's, God's still got a Christmas in there somewhere. He sure has. He's got something about it, just the very names and thoughts and the birth of our Lord Jesus. And the world's put Santa Claus in his place, sure, but not to the Christian, not to the believer, not to somebody with a bit of revelation. You know what? We don't have anything to do with the Santa Claus part. We don't have anything to do with the alcohol and all the other things that the world will get involved in here. There's a truth in there somewhere. He describes that, and he says, God's gifts always finds their places in 1963. What difference does it make if they were doing it in July or August? It's still the sacredness of remembering this, that God gave us the hope we have in us. And now you say, well, the rest of them's all Santa Claus and not going, uh, going on like they do. We might as well just do it. We might as well just join in with everybody else. Brother Bram says, no, this is not a pagan celebration. This is a sacred hour. Sacred hour because God was doing something and he reflected that in the heavens, in that star, and let the people on the earth know. Even if they never saw it, God was still reflecting it and it was recorded there. One thing about this whole story about the wise men is that they, they know archaeologically, historically, scientifically, it was true. It really did happen. There was, there was wise men that traveled from Babylon and Brother Man says the Orient and different places like that. But they, they came from the east and they moved to the west, or moved westward, and they came in a southeasterly direction and they wound up in Jerusalem. Then Herod, armed with that scripture, sends them down to Bethlehem even further. This is what Brother Branham taught us. He said, um, yeah, he says, even when the wise men in the east had looked down southwestward. Well, that's right. If you look at the map, and, I mean, they don't have the exact GPS coordinates, but he's right, isn't he? They went southwest. Everybody okay with that? 
from where they were at Babylon, they saw a majestic star. And did you know that there's not a speck of history nowhere that says any of them saw the star at all? Nobody else caught the significance of it. Why? Because it wasn't given to them. And they wasn't looking for such. But these wise men knew that there would be a star of Jacob rise. And they were looking for it. And it passed from the time that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Interesting. Now, let's go back here to uh, the, the phrase that I had here that I was reading. And we might as well do like the rest of them are doing. You know, we might as well join in. You're either going to totally deny it and beat it to death. Or we might as well join in on the other extreme. And Brother Bram says, no, it's not a pagan celebration. It's a sacred hour. And if there had been no Christmas, in other words, if there had not been the birth of Christ, if God had not descended and took off the robe of his glory and put on the garment of, of human body, right? If God, if he had not become flesh, there would be no resurrection. If there had been no Christmas, there would have been no love. There would have been no peace. There would have been no hereafter for the believer if there had been no Christians. If there, if, if, listen, you and I wouldn't be here with the hope that we have if there was not the birth of Christ. So if you, if you just say, well, we're not going to have anything to do with it. It's not true. Nothing happened. Well, then let me ask you this. Was Jesus actually born? Oh, yeah, he was born. Well, that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about Christmas, Christmas and the burr lives. I don't want to sing it, but we hear it from October on. It drives me crazy. We have a different perspective of it. We have a different understanding of it, right? Because a spirit couldn't bleed and die. So God had to come in human form to bleed and die on Calvary's cross. And if there had been no Calvary, there would have been no resurrection. Listen, folks. We as human beings in this earth, we're not exempt from everything else that goes on in this world. We, 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 you, you hear the testimonies. and You, uh, you know, I was, I was reading in detail about what those believers are going through in Ukraine with the Russians mounting forces on their border. Let me tell you, you, you and I, I, I was reading and I was trying to think what this would be like to travel around. All the believers that are centered around Donetsk and uh, in, in the eastern part of Ukraine and, and, the, east, and the western part of Russia, and, and they're all, there's lots of churches there, lots of believers there. And what they have to go through, just to go to the store and just to make money and just to be able to survive in that, in that time period, it's just, it's just so difficult. And, you know, in a sense, you'd like to be able to pull them out because we have no, listen, I will assure you, we have no idea what that kind of struggle is like on a day-to-day level. I think of Sister Laura and that, uh, you know, the, the sister up in Edmonton and what she, I, I read a description of what she's going through uh, when they first gave her chemotherapy, which is just poison. And I'm not saying it's, it's not the right thing to do, and I'm not saying that at all, but chemo is hard on a human body because of the substance of what it actually is. And, and she reacted to that. And, you know, I mean, they were reviving her. They had uh, nurses accompanying her for the next 24 hours there. And it was just really, I mean, it was so heartbreaking to read the report. And I thought, wow, if you could rescue her from that. Let me tell you, Jesus said, no matter what you go through, I'm going to offer you resurrection. And if we lose it all, if we lose this life, if we lose our body through uh, fire or famine or sword or whatever else, we have resurrection. We have the hope of resurrection. 
And there would never be a resurrection if there was not a Calvary. And there would never be a Calvary if there wasn't a Jesus. And Jesus was born. That's simply the point. And Brother Branham says, we can throw the baby out with the bathwater. Don't do that. He said, there was a birth. Just don't get out of whack. Don't get out of balance here with things because the world will turn it into all kinds of things. Are we okay? Now, as we look at the scripture now, if the wise men had simply gone to Micah and taken the passage which says that out of Bethlehem, of Judea, they would never have wound up in Jerusalem. But they did. Let's look at the scripture they were guided by. Remember now, these were believers. Brother Branham refers to them as believers. They were wise men. They were people who studied the scripture. Go to Numbers chapter 24. Numbers 24. Now, like I said, back in the day, People knew their Bibles. They knew the scripture. They understood and they talked about it in the way that we would talk about modern things. People understood. Now watch what happens here. In Numbers chapter 24, Balaam and Balak are described. What you have is a wicked king who wants to destroy Israel. He wants to stop Israel in its tracks, right? Balak. That's what, he, that's what he's about. He's anointed with a spirit that is determined to stop God's people. And God's word is being fulfilled in this scenario because they're on their way from Egypt into the promised land. Everybody follow me, say amen. And that's what's going on. So Balak is trying to find a way to deal with this people, if it was just a physical problem, he could put up roadblocks. But he realizes these people are under some form of leadership, and that leadership reportedly has a power about it, so therefore i gotta, I got to go a little higher. i got to get a prophet. So he reaches out and seeks Balaam to come in on the scene and curse this people. plan doesn't go so well for Balak because a prophet... As we have learned over our years, prophets got boundaries. Prophets can only say what God tells them to say. Real prophets. And he says, I, I, I told you, I told you this. Remember, down to verse 10, if you will. Just, let's pick it up there. Balak gives Balaam the funds and he says, all right, curse Israel for me. So he pronounces a blessing. If you look at the end of verse 9, blessed is he that blessed thee and cursed is he that cursed thee. This is not a, a, a curse here. And Balak's anger was kindled against Balaam and he smote his hands together. Balak said unto Balaam, I call thee to curse mine enemies. And behold, thou hast altogether blessed them three times. Therefore now flee thou to thy place. I thought to promise unto thee great honor, but lo, the Lord has kept thee back from honor. Uh, you know, he says, you're, you robbed yourself of a great uh, bonus here because you didn't do what I told you to do. And Balaam said, 
Spake I also not to thy messengers which sent, uh, sent us unto me, saying, If Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the commandments of the Lord to do either good or bad of mine own hand, but what the Lord will say, that will I speak. That's Hey, listen, folks. That's prof, prophets 101. Prophets are bound within a corridor to say only what God tells them to say. And, and when God tells them to say something and they say that, you know what? It's, it's gospel. It, that's what's going to come to pass. Hello? If that's true back there, it's also true today. If we've had a prophet and that prophet said something, it's not up for debate. It's not, well, I don't like that. That doesn't enter into the picture. This is what he, he's bound to say what God tells him to say. And if he doesn't say it, God will raise up someone else to say what he wants to have said because God's word is going to be declared. And if Brother Branham was a prophet, and I sincerely do believe that he was a prophet, I believe that what he said was ordained of God, ordered of God, and anointed of God, needed to be said, was said, and nothing was held back. That's what the words of a prophet are all about. And Balaam is simply saying to him, Hey, buddy, this is the principle by which prophets operate. You hired me. Hey, this is what prophets do. This is who I am. I can only say what God tells me, and that's the way that it is. So verse 15, he gives it another shot. Because, I mean, he's looking at the bonus, right? And he took up his parable and he said, Balaam the son of Beor hath said, the man whose eyes are open hath said. In other words, this is a vision. He had said, which heard the words of God and knew the knowledge of the Most High, which saw the vision of the Almighty falling into a trance but having his eyes open. What is it when, you, when you're, <laughs> you're speaking and your eyes are open here? You're, you're not in a dream. You're in a, you're in a vision, right? And that's all he's saying there, that this is what I saw. In other words, here, I, I'm going to go again to do what Balak says, but when he gets in that channel, God gives him a vision and he has to speak according to the vision, all right? That's all I'm saying to you. It's what he says that's significant here. It's significant for hundreds of years afterwards. 17. I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star. There it is again. There shall come a star out of Jacob. And a scepter. How many know what a scepter is? The wand of a king, right? It's a symbol of a king. A scepter shall rise out of Israel, not Bethlehem, but out of Israel. What's the center of Israel? What's the center of Israel? Jerusalem. If the star appears, that's the sign. The star is not the thing we worship. The star is the indicator that God's doing something within Israel. That this prophecy is being enacted. This prophecy is being fulfilled. So when they come into Israel, where do they go naturally? They go right to Jerusalem because that's the center. Brother Bram said that's the center. Everybody in Jerusalem should have known, right? A scepter shall rise out of Israel and shall smite the corners of Moab and destroy all the children of Sheth. And Edom shall uh, be a possession. Seir also shall be a possession for his enemies. And Israel shall do valiantly. And out of Jacob shall come he, a person. They were not looking for an army. They were not looking for a cloud. They were not looking for a golden staircase. They were looking for a he. 
That's why, that's why without, without, it's implied in Matthew, that's why Herod goes after all the male children. You understand? They've heard this odyssey before. Pardon them. Out of Jacob shall come he that has, shall have dominion and shall destroy him that remaineth of the city. And on down he goes. Hey, listen, Balaam just kind of looks over at Balak and says, I tried. Look, I could really use this bonus. And I mean, I did spend so many days here, but uh, I, I tried. But when I opened my mouth, this came. And he had no idea how significant that was. Because hundreds of years later, there's these magi that are over there going through the scriptures. And they're looking at it and they're saying, wow, whenever, you know what? The coming of the Messiah first time is going to be connected to this star. Whenever this star happens, there's something going to be happening. And all of a sudden, they look up and they say, Anybody else seeing this? No, we're not seeing this. You're a little bit off. Well, it doesn't matter. I can see. I mean, this is really obvious to me. Pack the bags. Pack the camels, Maggie. We're on our way. And off they go. And they're watching. What are they watching? They're not watching the news. They're not watching what everybody else is saying. Because nobody else is saying what they're saying. They're just watching the star. And they're moving in a direction here. And they're going. And they realize, wow. This, I mean, if, it's, if God's going to send the king, he's not going to send them to Iraq. He's not going to send them to Saudi Arabia. Right? If God's going to send a king on the earth, it's going to happen in, in Israel. And in Israel, they're coming down the roadway and they're looking, Jerusalem is where we need to go. And they come into Jerusalem and say, it's got to be here. It's got to be here. The world needed a savior, Brother Branham says. One day, God provided his son. When he come, he was not recognized, not wanted. They wanted a savior and they asked for a king. God gave him a baby. They wanted a mighty man to stomp Rome. God gave them a little crying baby in a barn. As far as I read it, everything that God promised through Balaam back here was fulfilled. It's a he. But it was God's provided way. But they didn't want it the way God wanted to send it. Aha. So now we have an attitude issue here that existed at the time of Jesus coming. we We don't want that. That's not the way we got to figure it out. But they didn't want it the way God wanted to send it. They wanted it the way they wanted it. They wanted it the way they wanted it. I don't know if this is ringing any bells for our time that we live in, but a lot of people are very independent-minded, and they got, kind of got their mind made up. And you know what? We don't want certain things to be said because we don't want it that way. We want it this way. We want to live this way. We don't want somebody to tell us that you shouldn't live that way. We want to live it this way. We want to pick and choose what we like about what this prophet said, and we want to pick and choose what the Bible said, and we want to kind of uh, move it around so that, you know, it allows us to be able to have a life of convenience that we've kind of gotten into in this last age here. So uh, we want it the way we want it. May God help us never to fall into that trap of accepting only God's word because it comes to you the way you want it. That's a trap. Because they were so trapped, they were so engulfed in this attitude here. So therefore, they went into where? You know what? They went into Walmart just like before. They went into Target just like before. And they went into work just like before. But they didn't realize they were in darkness. They were in chaos. So what he says, they went into chaos because they didn't accept it his way. It's not because it wasn't happening. And it wasn't because it wasn't happening God's way. It was happening exactly the way that God said so. And it was happening, and some people were catching it, and, and he said there were some that did. Thank God there were some that did. There were some that did back in that day, and they caught it, and they were not in chaos. Hmm. I mean, it's, it's just amazing, really, 
It's just amazing. And you remember those wise men. What did they see when they followed to Jesus? Nobody else saw it. It passed right over every observatory, every planetarium, and every city had a planetarium. And they kept time by the stars. So everybody was looking. Everybody was observing. And isn't it strange that those wise men went straight through city after city, city after city, following a star that even the stargazers and the men in the planetarium and telling things never saw anything up, and they were looking for it. But he said, you get what you expect. Now let let me divert just for a moment here and say this. Just as a parallel, listen to me, I'm only going to be a few minutes here. We have a baptism coming up here. But let me say this. <clears throat> Brother Bram, many times, and I, we could read you the statements, Brother Bram says things like, and so is it today. He said, that's just like today. And you know what that is? That's the explicit statement that he's making like Matthew makes. He's saying, you don't need to guess, everybody. Wake up. What's happening here is just like what happened back there. So all kinds of people were living in it. They were living in the day of the unfolding of it and missed it. And Brother Branham would say, so is it today. But I'd like to submit to you that I believe a star rose today. Something happened in the heavens. Something happened on earth. Because God was doing something significant that he wanted the believers to take notice of. Do you believe that? And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud. Revelation chapter 10. And a rainbow was on his head. And his face was as it were the sun and his, star, and his feet as pillars of fire. And he had in his right hand a book open, setting his right foot upon the sea, left foot upon the earth. Hasn't there been a cloud? That's been photographed. Hasn't, hasn't there been a pillar of fire? That's been photographed. All of those things are indicators that God is doing something on the earth. And then at that time, 10-7, in the days of the voice of the seven angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished. And here's Brother Branham saying that in the unveiling of God, a year later, uh, when the seals were open here, he says it's been veiled through the ages according to what God said, but now it'll be open in the last day and the seals will be broken. The full thing would come into view of the people. But guess what? God can do something in the full view of the people and not everybody catches it. God can do something in plain view and put it on Life magazine and give it to everybody in that time in 1963. I've got copies of it myself. And, and God could display it. And God could broadcast it. And God could send that prophet around the world seven times with the same message that he always had and, and, and do supernatural signs that accompany and, and uh, follow that ministry that drew attention to something that God was doing that nobody else on the earth was doing. Nothing on the earth was comparable to that. And God's drawing attention to this particular ministry and this particular voice because it's not the miracles that God really wanted everybody to see, but miracles draw attention to the people. But God wanted the people to hear what they needed to hear because in hearing, your faith is going to change. In hearing, your faith is going to grow to a place where your body will actually change. And Brother Branham's here telling us in 1964, in 1964, he said the hour of the seventh angel's message, all those mysteries of God should be made known by that Elijah in the last day. And he describes in Paul, like Paul uh, talks about in First Thessalonians chapter 4, and the shout and the voice and the trumpet. 
And Brother Branham, he comes in the end of his ministry and every single sermon, he's saying the same things. He's saying that the men who have seen the vision or heard the voice, they may never have understood it. But he said, God speaks it nonetheless. And down the end of the paragraph, he did it in every age and set forth men for every age, like Moses and Abraham and so forth. And Brother Branham's standing there saying, now is this bride calling. All of the voice, all of the sound, all of the commotion, all of the attraction, all of the supernatural, all of the manifestation, it did not budge the world from their position. They're still sitting in their creeds and dogmas and ideas. They're still sitting in their understandings of uh, Christmas and, and the understanding of tradition and all the other things that they uh, are still bound in. They're still bound in the idea of a trinity and they still have an idea of this is the way God is and this is the way we want to believe God because we've always believed God this way. We've always believed He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, uh, you know, you, you got a scripture, I got a scripture. You got a scripture, I got a scripture. If you ever butt heads with somebody who's a Trinitarian and give them a scripture, they'll always give you one back. Because there's no end of scriptures that, uh, you know, will lend to their argument, lend to your argument. You know what? The only thing that separates an understanding of that is a revelation from God of who God really is, right? Of how God really manifested himself and what God was doing when he condescended and came in the form of a, a savior. And, and he was born according to the prophecies and fulfilled exactly what he said he was going to do. And here we are living in our time and God has sounded that out and everybody doesn't flock to it just like... Everybody didn't run to Bethlehem and say, I know, I know. The, the, the people who Herod consulted could know the scripture. They Googled it and they knew. They got it right. They didn't give Herod a dozen different scriptures. They gave him one. Because now they're in, now they're, boring now they're digging down into this whole premise of wow if if numbers 25 is actually fulfilled if that's actually going on then it's going to happen somewhere in in israel and they went back and they looked and they said bethlehem they got it right they got it right because they could look up they could read their scrolls they could search they got it right would you say they had a revelation of it? But they got it right. And they saw that in part. They saw it unfolding like everybody else did after the fact. Brother Branham says, though, in the bride calling in this time, he said the believers caught it as it was unfolding. They caught it as it was happening there. And he said, in this last statement here, he said, all of Israel, the tens of thousands that were in them days, around 4 million people lived there. And he said there was 120 heard his voice out of 4 million. And if the rapture would come tonight, it would be scary if I tell you what I think would happen. He doesn't. If the rapture would come tonight, if, if that's the ratio, if you want to run the numbers, if that's the ratio, my goodness, that's kind of a sobering thought, isn't it? If you have 4 million and you have 120 that wound up in the upper room there, that's quite a, 
small fraction of the people that really had a revelation that, you know, we're waiting on the coming of the Holy Spirit because this is the furtherance of this whole first coming of Christ and it wound up from John the Baptist out to Paul. And now here they are, uh, you know, just 120 people and they were not really sure really what was going on during that time, but they knew somehow that God was doing something. Hey, listen, folks, don't be, don't be uh, discouraged if you don't know everything that's going on. And you may think, well, we just come to church, you know, service after service and service after service and uh, the world, it seems to be getting wackier and crazier and the people around us are getting wackier and crazier and the headlines are more uncertain every day that we live and you're sitting there thinking well you know uh you know and we don't know what tomorrow uh, we don't know what it's going to be like tomorrow and should i invest in this and should i invest in that should i should i go get married should i not go get married and all all the other questions that we have as human beings but i'll tell you what a believer has a different perspective in this sense that we know that we know we're living in a time when God's doing something because he signaled it in the heavens. He's displayed it on the earth. He's still alive and manifests himself uh, among his people. And I believe that we should not have a thing. I believe that we should not have a thing to worry about when it comes to the future and the future of this world because God has separated you from that like he separated those wise men. Because even under the words of the king, the king said, when you find him, you come back and tell me. These men were guided by a star. And that star said, don't go back to here. Go another way and go back to where you came from. But don't go, by, don't go back by the king. Go this way. God guided them to the king and God guided them from the king. God guided them to Christ. God guided them from the Christ. God knew exactly what he was doing. Just like God knew exactly what he was putting in the mouth of Balaam when he said what he did. Doesn't make Balaam a member of the bride. Don't get me wrong. But God has his prophets in a channel to say what he wants. And that prophecy was the basis that those wise men came to, to Israel and knew there had to be a king because it was connected to that star. And God said, when that star, when that star appears, that's a sign that God's doing something on the earth. To me, I'm awfully glad today. I feel, I feel good that I've seen the star in this last day. You can go tell all kinds of people. You can go to work tomorrow and say, where is he? Where is the Christ? He's, God's doing something on the earth. They'll look at you like they did look at those wise men in Jerusalem and say, sorry, we don't know what you're talking about. We don't know what you're talking about. Joe, you can go to your professor in your class and, and just tell him, hey, we found the Christ child. We've, we found, not we haven't found baby Jesus here, but we found the light in the last day. We found the truth in the last day. We know exactly where we are. We know where we are in the timeline. We know what God's got in store for, God, for the Gentiles. We're living at the end. That we're living right at the door of the Gentile dispensation, and the next step is in the glory, and Israel comes in. We know where we are. You would not have known that unless God had allowed you to have eyesight to see the star in the last day and to catch what you've caught you are a unique special group of people predestinated to see that star in the last day predestinated to see that light in the last day and i will tell you what in our in our day it's it's not a, a far comparison from what uh, they had in that that day of the first coming there when uh you know there's a lot of people who we now would look back and say they should have known they should have known because they had the same scrolls that everybody else had. Uh, the wise men didn't have different scrolls than what everybody else had. They all had the same scroll. 
and uh, Balaam's prophecy was common to everybody. Everybody would have uh, had access to that and had knowledge of that. But that would have been something that would have been very common uh, to everybody that was on earth at that time, in, in, in Israel at that time. And you look at the amount of people that have a King James Bible like us and they have uh, access to the Scripture. They have all the resources that are out there. But God has given you, with that resource, God's given you a revelation to be able to piece it together and say, not only do I know where I am in the timeline, but I know who I am. I'm a member of His bride. And that's what He's come for in this last day is the bride. He's come to retrieve His bride. Let's have our musicians slip up here uh, to to their instruments if they would. God has allowed the bride to be able to gather together in light and in, in the revelation that uh, God has spoken for this last day. What a, what a blessed people we are to see the star. I, I, will, I will say this, that I would not trade this for anything. You can have anything else of this world. Uh, that, that should be our attitude. You can have the scholarship. You can have the retirement account. You can, have, uh, you can even have my Ford truck. You can have it all. Uh, 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 let me tell you, what we have, what we possess is even greater, is greater than anything this world could offer because you've seen the star. And that's because God put something in you to receive the word that identifies that in the time that we're living in. Let's stand to our feet this morning here. I think we should worship, worship him this morning. I think we should sing and I think we should... Uh, be thanking God for all that he's done. Let's sing that little uh, song, The Days of Elijah, and uh, let's just worship him together. Are, are you ready to worship a little bit? Let's do that. We'll have lunch in just a little bit, but let's, let's sing together here this morning. These are the days of Elijah, declaring the word of the Lord. You got a microphone? Oh, and these are the Servant Moses, righteousness be restored. And these are days of great trials, of famine and darkness and sword. Still we are the voice of the desert, crying, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Behold, he comes. Riding on the clouds, shining like the sun, at the trumpet call, lift your voice, in the year of Jubilee, out of Zion's hill, salvation comes. These are the days of Ezekiel, the dry bones becoming as flesh. Are the days David rebuilding a temple of grace? Oh, and these are the days of the harvest. The fields are as white in the world. We are the labors in your vineyard, declaring the Salvation.
like Jehovah. There's no God 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 like Jehovah. It's a year of jubilee out of Zion's hill salvation comes. There's no God like Jehovah. 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 Behold clouds shining like the sun at the trumpet call lift your voice it's a year of jubilee out of zion till salvation come behold he comes riding on the clouds shining like the sun at the trumpet call so a year of jubilee and out of Zion till south. Sing it one more time now. Oh, behold, he comes riding on the clouds, shining like the sun at the trumpet call. Lift your voice. It's a year of jubilee out of Zion till salvation comes what it would have been like in Israel if they had realized who this was. I mean, all of them singing together and they realized this is the real jubilee. This is a setting free of God's people. And, and out of Zion's hill now, true salvation comes. We never have to worry about what government is in control or, uh, you know, what, what's happening in the world. We are free. We are free. And the people rejected that freedom. They rejected that person of Christ. What a terrible thing. One day they'll come back and receive him again, right? We know that. What grace and mercy God shows to Israel. But for us, for us who recognize and we see, wow, this is, this is him. This is, God has called us into a, a, a great salvation, a great freedom, a great release of your sin and forgiveness and communion with God. We should be a happy people. We should worship. Hey, you know what we're doing? We're, we're serving until it's time to go. And when it's time to go, we'll take off. Huh. We'll take off. We'll be gone. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to slip out. Brother Ben's going to come and uh, take the closing of the service. And um, Sister Annabelle's going to get uh, baptized today in the Lord, name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you want to make your way with your folks, and we'll let you get ready for baptism. If there's anybody here this morning that God's dealing with your heart and you want to make that step, you're certainly welcome to come and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus this morning as well. God is good, isn't he? To think that God is still allowing people to see the star. I mean, that's a wonderful thing. To know that, uh, you know, God cares about individuals and wants to bring them to his side. That's a wonderful thing. Sing it now and and, uh, may God bless you. And uh, we trust that the rest of the day is blessed for all of you today. Every praise is to our God. Every word of worship, one of the
God is good all the time. Amen. No matter what's going on, when we're in the good times and when we're in the bad times, he's still good. Amen. Let's start uh, the first verse, actually. If you're walking through the valley and there are shadows all around, well, do not fear. Amen. He will guide you, He will keep you safe and sound. He has promised to never leave you, nor forsake you. And 
His Word is good. God is good all the time. It's a song of praise in this heart of mine. God is good, oh, all the time. Through the darkest night, His light will shine. God is good, my God is good all the time. Now we were sinners. Oh, so worthy, yet for us he chose to die, filled us with Holy Spirit, so we could stand and testify that his love is real, everlasting, and his mercies, they will heart of mine, God is good, will all the time, through the darkest night, His light will shine, God is good, my God is good, all the time, one more time, God is good, oh, God is good, all the time. A song of praise in this heart of mine. God is good all the time. Through the darkest night, His light will shine. God is good. My God is good all the time. Amen. Let's sing. Um, we're waiting for them to come still. Let's sing um, I'll Fly Away, Some Glad Morning, When This Life Is O'er. Amen. Aren't you looking forward to that? Well, some glad morning, when this life is o'er, I'll, well, I'll fly away and to a home on God's celestial shore. I'll fly away. Oh, I'll fly away. Oh, glory. I'll fly away. I'll not die. Hallelujah. By and by. I'll fly. One more time, the chorus. Oh, I'll fly away. I'll fly away, I'll not die, hallelujah by and by, I'll fly away. Today, uh, to be able to surrender her life into the arms of our Lord Jesus, and uh Offer her body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. And, and that's what she has desired to do. And by placing her life in God's hands, it now becomes, she now becomes a vessel that he can use.
And so we're just praying that God will take her life and use it, mold her and shape her in the way that she should go. And I told her that this is not the devil trying to uh, divert her or lead her astray because the devil never causes us to walk in, in the obedience of the scripture. And so this is the Holy Spirit at work in her life. And I'm glad that God's still working in the hearts of uh, young people today. And I just trust that uh, this will be a real change for Annabelle and that um, she would uh, just enjoy that newness of life that only the Holy Spirit can bring in, into a person's life. <clears throat> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for Annabelle and her desire, Lord, to walk in baptism. We're thankful, Lord, that you're still dealing with hearts and knocking on doors and calling upon your children, Lord. And she's seen something. She's recognized something that's different about our time. And, Lord, she wants to be a part of it. And I know that that's the deep calling the deep. And so, Lord, we commit her into your hands. Forgive her, Lord, of every sin. And, Lord, now when you look at her, look at her through the blood of Christ, that she might be pure as snow. Lord, I commit her into your hands now. Bless her and her family, I pray, and Lord, may you continue just to deal with their hearts, and Lord, lead them in your perfect will, we pray. In Jesus' lovely name, amen. Annabelle, based on your desire to walk in obedience to the commandment, the scripture, I now baptize you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Fly away, oh glory, aha, fly away, I'll not die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away, when the shadows, now when the shadows of this life have grown, I'll, I'll fly away, like and bars that's flown, amen, I'll fly away, oh, I'll fly away, oh, glory, I'll fly away, I'll not die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away, now just a Every day's in there, and I'll fly away to a land where joy shall never end. I'll fly away. Hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. Amen. Let's bow our heads. We're going to dismiss in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for today, Lord, and we just ask, uh, Father, that, Lord, we continue, Lord, that you would continue just to reveal yourself to us, Father, and we are so thankful. Lord, that you have opened our eyes, Father, to see often things that the rest of the world can't see. And we're thankful for that, Lord. And we realize, like Brother Barry said, 
It has nothing to do with us, Father. It's not our understanding, Father, that's allowed us to see those things, Father, but it's our belief in what you say, Father, that opens our eyes. And we're so thankful for that this morning, Lord. Lord, we just ask that the remainder of the day, there's lots of things going on here at the church this afternoon, Father, that you'll be in each of the things that happen, Father. We ask that you bless our young people this afternoon with their service, Father. And Lord, help us to be mindful of you, Lord, and be with us this week and bring us back again when it's time. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's, uh, as we go, let's sing that song, um, The Best... uh, What's the best decision? Um, Greatest, best decision. Falling in love with Jesus. Yeah, thank you. Aren't you thankful, Lord, that he let you fall in love with him? He loves you no matter what. Amen. He loves you more than you actually love him, which is amazing. Amen. Falling in love with Jesus. Amen. Falling in love with Jesus. Falling in love with Jesus was the best thing I had ever done. Oh, in his arms I arms, never disconnected. In his arms, I feel protected. There's no place I'd rather be.